The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and thank you to all of you that are listening with us today. We got some great emails this week from listeners, and it's wonderful to hear how Spirit of Recovery is touching your hearts and how it's making a real difference for you in your recovery, how it's deepening and uh, your understanding of recovery and opening up your heart and mind. So we love hearing from you. So keep those emails coming. We're glad to know that uh, Spirit of Recovery is making a difference for you. And every week we're here talking about topics that are important to the recovery community. And we always have guests that are down to earth, people that are knowledgeable and innovative, people who are living their recovery fully or who are working with or writing for recovering people, and sometimes uh, all three. We're always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions with our guests that get you thinking. Also, the spirit of recovery is a welcoming place. Recovery is a big tent, and there are lots of ways and forms that recovery takes. So if you're a person who's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, or if you're a family member that's in your own recovery as a family member, or if you're a family member or friend of somebody with the disease of addiction, uh, whether or not that person's in recovery, or whether you're simply somebody who's interested in the process of recovery and you just want some more information, you're welcome here, and we welcome your participation in all of our discussions. And again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. I'm a Unity Minister, and I'm trained in addictions counseling. Also, I'm a person who has, in my circle of love and friendship, lots of people that have the disease of addiction, And almost 30 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And since that time, I have been involved with the spiritual principles uh, as taught by Unity and through the 12-step recovery process. And it sure made a big difference in my life. So I am very delighted to have the opportunity to share those ideas with you and to share such wonderful guests with you here on the Spirit of Recovery. I'd like to make note also that this month of January 2011, uh, Unity has two publications, uh, The Daily Word and Unity Magazine, that both have articles in them this month on recovery. So if you haven't had the chance to see those yet, get yourself a copy of The Daily Word and of Unity Magazine and read those articles about recovery. And if you don't know how to find a copy of those, you can go on the web at www.unity.org and find a copy, how to get a copy of those two Unity publications. And again, in 2011, in January this month, they've both got an article in them about recovery. So that's fabulous. Also, on every show, we have a drawing and we give away a recovery book. And those books are donated to us by the nonprofit Hazelden Foundation. That's www.hazelden.org. And we give a big thank you to Hazelden Foundation for donating those books. And today's book is called Sober But Stuck, 
obstacles most often encountered that keep us from growing in recovery, and some solutions to those obstacles. And this book is by Dan F. And so today in our show, if you email us uh, at Spirit of Recovery. Um, at unity.fm, or if you call in at 888-55-UNITY, we'll put your name in for that drawing, and you can email or call in right now and get your name in for the drawing, and then also in the second and third segments of our show, we'd be happy for you to call or email in with a comment or question. So, today our topic is Spiritual Principles in Action, and joining me is my guest, Chad W., and Chad is a professional addictions counselor. He uh, works in the field of addiction treatment, and he's worked both in primary residential treatment, meaning when people are first getting um, into sobriety and into a uh, recovery process, and also he works in residential aftercare so that once people have completed that primary residential treatment, they go into a time where they get extended care. And he also has worked in that arena. Also, Chad is a person with long-term recovery himself, so he knows what it takes and he tells it like it is uh, about how to live these spiritual principles and put them into action. So, Chad, welcome today to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you, Hannah, and it's really my honor and pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. We're we're so glad, so glad that you're here and we know you've got lots to share with our listeners Chad, you say today, life is good, but it wasn't always like that. What was your first awakening to the possibility that recovery was going to make a difference in your life? I think that my first awareness that recovery would or could make a difference in my life came at the moment when I realized that I was finally out of all other options. There came a day when I began to believe for the very first time that if I didn't make some significant changes in my life, that I was going to die, and it was going to be soon. Um, It was a late summer day. I found myself sitting in soiled clothing, hiding underneath a table in the raw, unfinished, dirty basement of a house that I had lived in by myself. And in that moment, my phone rang. It was an old using buddy that had been sober for about four months at that time, He was calling to ask me if he could come over, and my immediate response was no way because I was afraid. I didn't want him to see the condition that I was in, and I didn't want him to see the condition that my home was in. Um, I used to smoke back then, though, and it was then that I realized that I was out of cigarettes and I no longer owned a vehicle to get to the store. Because of my physical disability, it's difficult for me to walk, so we agreed that this friend of mine could give me a ride to the store. Um, After giving me a ride to the store and buying me some cigarettes, he turned the wrong direction when pulling away. And instead of bringing me home, he took me to his house. We sat together for a couple hours in a room with no distractions and just talked. He did most of the talking while I listened and cried. And after a couple hours, he asked me a simple question. He asked me if I wanted to live or if I wanted to die. And then he offered to take me back home to my house, or he offered to take me someplace safe. And I think that his wording was really clever because he hooked me with the word safe. If he just said that he could take me home or he could take me to treatment, I would have asked to go home. Or if he just said he could take me home or he could take me to my mom's, I would have asked to go home. But at the place where I had been living, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, safe sounded really good to me, and incidentally, I never saw my home again until after I had detoxed and begun my new journey. So the long answer to that question, I guess, looking back today is I believe it was at that moment that I began to experience hope in the possibility of recovery. So was that connection that your friend made that he was willing to reach out and accept you uh, when you were in a really tough spot, he wasn't judging you. Absolutely. He was full of unconditional love, and he just wanted to help help save my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing that he knew how, what the right word to say. How do you think he 
he knew how to say the word safe instead of saying those other things that he could have said that would have turned you off? Uh, divine intervention, absolutely. Um, this was not a man who was educated in, in counseling or, or any other helping profession to where he would have been uh, coached on, on language like that. I think that this um, just came from his heart. And intuitively, he knew that it would be something that I might respond to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Powerful story. I know that you say that in recovery, we take the shortcomings that we had when we were in active addiction and turn them into principles to live by. What does that mean to you? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think I should first probably define my understanding of a spiritual principle as a fundamental truth, as an origin from which positive change can occur. Within the 12 steps are spiritual principles that can be used to enhance us in recovery. I'm talking about things like hope, commitment, faith, courage, willingness and humility, things like integrity, vigilance, perseverance, forgiveness and open-mindedness. There are principles like awareness, honesty, acceptance and surrender which to the newcomer are the underlying principles that must be adopted to successfully complete the first step. In recovery, we take the opposite of our character defects, or our shortcomings, if you wish, and try to turn them into principles. For example, we work to change fear into faith, hate into love, egoism into humility, anxiety and worry into serenity, complacency into action, and denial into acceptance. Um, things like jealousy into trust, selfishness into service, resentment into forgiveness, judgment into tolerance, despair into hope, self-hate into self-respect, and loneliness into fellowship. I believe that by applying the spiritual principles available in the 12-step program, we have an array of guidelines to adhere to that will help us transform our standard of living. Through this work, we learn to understand the principles of our program and do our best on a daily basis to apply them in our lives. Our goal in this work is, of course, progress, not perfection, and no one will ever be able to fully apply these principles all of the time. Um, We have a basic text called Alcoholics Anonymous, or commonly referred to as the Big Book, And in it, it tells us that we are not destined for sainthood. And we should not be discouraged when we cannot maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. The point is that we're willing to grow on spiritual lines, and these principles are our guides to progress. And as I know you can imagine, uh, the positive effects that trying to live by these principles has on changing one's life. Right. What's a... One of the things that you do that changes fear to faith? Um, Well, prayer is a spiritual tool that I use today to try and live in faith. When I become fearful, um, I usually get on my knees and have a conversation with God as I understand him, my higher power, and I ask that he be with me and protect me and guide me and lead me in his direction. Um, I believe that if I can live in faith and if I can strive to do God's will to the best of my ability, I'm going to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. That takes a lot of courage. It's like it's really letting go, letting go of sometimes of the outer props and trusting. Yeah, absolutely, and not something that is easily understood in early recovery. The courage in recovery is a vital virtue that can bring about success, understanding, and inspiration. I feel that courage establishes the possibility of better improving our reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are some of the obstacles that come up for people early in recovery that would uh, make it hard for them to, to have faith or to go from despair to hope? I think that some one of the more common obstacles, I guess, is, is just inexperience. 
uh, when we first get into recovery, most of us are not accustomed to living a principal lifestyle, and we have forgotten long ago what it feels like to be healthy and serene. In early recovery, it can be really difficult to be honest with what we do and what we say, and to be tolerant of others' shortcomings, and to be willing to feel our feelings for the first time in a very long time. So early recovery can be a very painful time in our lives, and it's important to emphasize and if we don't turn and run from our feelings, if we don't try to go around our shortcut, or shortcut this work, but rather have the willingness to work through it, we can and will recover from this hopeless state of mind and body. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that in my work it's vital to instill hope, because without hope for a better future, it's way too easy to throw in the towel and return to our old way of life. What are some things that help to, to instill hope in people? I mean, in your story, you, you talk about how your friend gave you hope by really offering a place for you to go and offering safety. What are some other things that help people feel that sense of hope? I think that fellowship is incredibly important. Um, you know, I can't recover by myself in a vacuum. I need to be uh, exposed and surrounded by others who have gone before me and have evidenced um, through their sharing their experience with me uh, the horrors of addiction that they suffered and survived. And so whether it's um, through the personal stories that are found in the back of the big book or in the personal testimonies that we hear every day in the rooms of recovery, it's important for us to uh, know that other people have suffered and survived the, the the pains that we're currently going through. I think that that's one of the one of the most hopeful uh, tools, I guess, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, is 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 being around other positive people who have recovered uh, from this disease and continue to help others. It puts you in that atmosphere of hope then. It's like you can see what that other people are doing well and you can see that that's possible for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's what I was told. Um, when, I, when I first got into recovery, you know, I was told by several men that I could do this, that recovery is possible for all who earnestly try. Um, those messages were really important and had an early impact on me. Nobody tried to sugarcoat it or coddle me. I was told right away that this is a simple program in the sense that we don't have to figure anything out for ourselves, that all we need to do is follow a few simple instructions. But I was also told that some of the instructions would not be easy. So I knew from the start that this would be hard work, and that's why it was important for me to know that it was possible. Um, when referring to the first 100 men and women that started the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, someone told me that if I did what they did, I would get what they got. And that was a lot more inspiring than the statistics that I had been told while I was in treatment. Right. That's the spirituality of the program, isn't it? it instead of looking at the negatives of how, oh, man, this could, could just send me all downhill, that... I mean, that is part of it. That's the facts of it. And the spirituality of it is looking at, and it's possible for me to recover and look at all these people that are doing it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Chad, thanks so much. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to start with the Serenity Minute. And that's just a brief moment to focus on a positive thought. And then after the Serenity Minute, my guest Chad and I will continue talking about putting spiritual principles into action. And also, when we come back, that's the time we'd love our listeners to call us or email us with your questions and comments. That's 888-55-UNITY. And the email is spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. And we'll get that right here during the show. So give us a call or email us when we get back. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio.
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Do you ask with childlike wonder, what is the nature of God? Who is Jesus? What is the Christ? How do we know what we know? When you ask these or other heart-centered questions about the non-physical, intangible aspects of life, you are, on some level, a student of metaphysics. New from Unity House and nearly five years in the making, Heart-Centered Metaphysics, a deeper look at Unity teachings, is now available. This is Paul Hasselbeck, author of this quintessential study guide. Enjoy a deeper exploration of universal spiritual principles and truths, whether you are just starting or have been seeking for years. Each thought-provoking chapter of Heart Center Metaphysics speaks to truth seekers like you, providing essential tools to help elevate your consciousness and create spiritual transformations in your outer life and circumstances. Order your copy today from the Unity Online Store at www.unity.org. Then click on Shop. What would a human life based on the principles of evolutionary spirituality look like? Reverend Kelly Isola wants to talk with people of every faith and outlook about passionately participating in the next great epic in the emergence of consciousness and culture. If the choice is ours to consciously evolve, then what can life look like at this pivotal time in human history? Join us each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Central Time for Spiraling Consciousness with host Reverend Kelly Isola right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're really glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Spiritual Principles in Action, and my guest is Chad W. Chad is a professional addictions counselor who works in primary uh, residential treatment for people just getting into recovery, and also he works in residential aftercare for people that uh, have some more care after they've completed primary treatment. And Chad also is a person in long-term recovery, so he's got lots to share with us about putting spiritual principles into action. He knows what it takes, and he tells it like it is, so we're really glad that Chad is here with us today. But before we get back to our conversation, we're going to take a moment for our Serenity Minute. So I invite you to join me uh, in that moment. It's just a time to uh, take some time out and focus on a constructive idea as we relax allow our minds to rest and to be open and refreshed. So I invite you to relax and open your mind to this constructive idea. Today I take constructive action in my life. I do the things that keep me growing in a positive direction. Today I take constructive action in my life. I do the things that keep me growing in a positive direction. Thank you, friends, for joining me in this Serenity Minute. And now we're back to our conversation with my guest, Chad W., and we're talking about spiritual principles in action. And this is a great time now to give us a call or send us an email, and you can call us at 888-55-UNITY or send us an email at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. You can call in with a comment or a question for Chad um, 
or you can just call or email in and let us know that you are interested in putting your name in the drawing for the book. And our book today is Sober But Stuck, Obstacles That Most Often Encountered That Keep Us From Growing in Recovery by Dan F., and uh, he's got some solutions in there. So give us a call or an email. Our lines are open now, and our email box is open now. So, but back to our conversation with Chad W., so, Chad, you were telling us some great things about how recovery moves us from that despair and fear and from that uh, self-absorption into uh, a bigger life. And I know for you, uh, although you underwent a, a real profound change when you got into recovery and your spirituality really opened up, that your spiritual life had been important to you for all of your life. You had been involved with the church uh, before recovery but somehow that it didn't really do much for you at that point in 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 the disease of addiction so tell us about that how that worked with your spiritual community and what changed for you after recovery yeah that's right Anna. i was involved in the faith community before recovery in fact i attended a lutheran grade school for a few years prior to high school Uh, The disease of addiction had a massive effect on my spirituality and my involvement with the church. What I've since learned after I got into recovery is that my spirituality was the first thing to go. Um, After finishing the eighth grade, which was the highest grade in the school program, I quit attending regular services altogether. Uh, Honestly, looking back, I think that I had stopped praying long before that, with the exception of the group prayers that are said during a service. I began to believe that God did not approve of me, which added to the shame that I felt about myself, and then began to believe that there was no relationship at all between God and me, and that I would not be forgiven for my actions. Um, That's just a little example of how it affected my beliefs about God and my involvement with church. But if I were to drill it down to spiritual principles in my life, uh, there, there were none. I was completely living in fear, not faith. I was judgmental of others, not tolerant. I didn't trust anybody, particularly someone that I was in a relationship with. And I was filled with self-hate rather than self-respect. I was resentful of just about anything and everybody in my life. And I was selfish and self-centered to the core rather than looking for ways to be of service to others and centered in God. Unfortunately... The people from my church were unable to support me because I didn't let them know what was going on in my life. Uh, Mm -hmm. Part of my spiritual disease was emotional isolation and and later physical isolation where I had just disappeared from their lives altogether and they were mostly unaware of what had happened to me. However, there was one woman who was the mother of a classmate of mine from church who called my pastor in Minnesota from her home in North Carolina to inform him that I had recently been involved in a life-threatening accident. After receiving that phone call, my pastor drove over an hour from his rural home in the country to the hospital in the town where I was living at the time just to hold my hand and let me know that I was loved and cared for. Um, He talked with me for about 45 minutes before praying with me before he left. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget that day. That was almost 13 years ago and the impact that that had on my life. Um, And I continue to have a close relationship with that man today. Excuse me. So your church, in, in an odd kind of way, really did reach out and become part of your your recovery network even though in, in the disease of addiction you were isolated from them. They still found that's, you. Yeah, that's true, as, as, as much as I tried to hide. Uh-huh. That's mm-hmm. a powerful story, yeah. And how, what's your relationship now with your faith communities uh, since you've gotten in recovery? Well, I am developing new relationships with new faith communities. I'm uh, becoming open-minded to experiencing Uh, different types of of faith communities and really focusing on strengthening and growing my relationship with God as I understand them. Mm -hmm. 
We got a question in by email from a family member who uh, has an important question. So uh, would you entertain a question from a family member? Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. Okay. Uh, This family member writes that um, uh, this is a question about her relationship with her husband, that uh, they've been married for a long time. They have a middle school age child. Um, Her husband's uh, drinking heavily, but he doesn't think it's that big of a problem that he can quit if he wants to. But uh, the family member, the wife that wrote this in, says that the relationship's like a roller coaster ride. Um, and she's really hoping that if she separates, that perhaps her husband would get into treatment and then maybe they could work on reconciliation. But she's saying that she's just really can't take the day-to-day living with the active alcoholism and everything that goes along with that. So her question is that for those uh, of family members who are trying to live with an alcoholic and be in relationship Um, she's struck by how hard it is to stand firm in the belief that she deserves a relationship that's not ruled by alcohol, but yet she feels so guilty about leaving. So she says that she's tried everything uh, that she knows how to do to try to get him to make a decision for sobriety. And she's asking, how does she deal with the guilt? And maybe um, what would be some thoughts that you would have about her situation? That's a very good question, Anna. And I want to start by saying that I, I I can feel her pain, and I empathize with this with this family member. Um, without knowing her knowledge of the disease of alcoholism or addiction, I should probably start by um, defining just a little bit from an education standpoint on what alcoholism is uh, as a disease. Um, We've learned quite a bit about addiction in the last decade or so, and it's long been recognized by uh, the medical uh, field, both the American Psychiatric Association, the American Psychological Association, and the American Medical Association as a medical disease. And so when we look at addiction using the medical model, it's more easily understood as a chronic, progressive, and fatal disease. What I mean by chronic is that alcoholism is a long-term disease and it is incurable. We have not yet found a cure for the disease of addiction, although there is a treatment that has been successful in many cases. Uh, Addiction, alcoholism, chemical dependency, we can interchange those those words. Uh, Alcoholism is progressive. And what I mean by that is if left untreated, the disease will always get worse over time, never better. So a person can be abstinent from active addiction for a period of months and years and decades. And if one returns to active addiction after a period of sobriety, he or she will soon be in a place as bad or worse than ever before years prior when they first stopped. And finally, you know, the disease of addiction is, is fatal. Uh, again, if left untreated, um, the, the ultimate result is a premature death. And this happens in many different forms, whether it be through organ failure or suicide or um, automobile accidents. Um, so it was Dr. Silkworth who first gave us an understanding of this medical model um, back in the 1930s when he suggested that alcoholism is a twofold disease. It is an illness of the body and an obsession of the mind. And what he meant by illness of the body is an alcoholic, somebody who's truly chemically dependent, who has this disease of addiction, uh, once I ingest any amount of alcohol whatsoever into my body, I develop a phenomenon of craving. My body has a physical allergic reaction which results in craving more. And so once I start, I can't stop. It was explained to me in treatment that my off switch is broken and I will go and go and go and can't predict when I will stop. Now this wouldn't be an issue if I never took that first drink. So once a person is detoxified, It shouldn't be a problem. 
problem comes with the other part of the disease, the illness of the mind, the obsession of the mind. When I'm not using, I can't stay stopped because I have this disease that wants to convince me that I don't have a disease. It wants to tell me that after a period of time, I can drink just a little bit on the weekend and I'll be okay. Maybe just one or two drinks on my way home. And so I, I can't rid myself of the obsession and I inevitably will pick up again. So I get stuck in this cycle of I can't stop and once I stop, I can't stay stopped. And it just keeps going around and around and around. And so what this this family member is, is living with is a husband who may or may not be able to control his use. Uh, this is not a moral dilemma or a matter of, of willpower. This is actually um, a terrible cycle of, of addiction that he probably, like he can't get out of by himself. Um, that, pardon me, that being understood, my, my suggestion for a loved one, for a family member or any other concerned significant other of a person struggling with the disease of addiction is to get help for themselves first. Um, this is not something that she caused. It's not something that she can control, and she certainly can't cure it. Addiction, alcoholism, chemical dependency is a family disease, and it touches the lives of everybody who are close to the identified patient. And so it's really important for the loved ones of the afflicted person to find a program, to find a fellowship where they can find the love and the support and the actionable program, the 12-step program for themselves so that they can heal. Because whether or not this man finds recovery for himself, it's really important for this writer to find recovery for herself. And she can do that in a 12-step fellowship uh, known as Al-Anon. And there's also other 12-step fellowships for children of um, addicted persons and, um, and other young people. So I don't know if she's involved with Al-Anon or not, but that would certainly be my recommendation as a starting point. And through repeated involvement in Al-Anon, one can gain a better understanding and knowledge of the disease of alcoholism and also come to understand how to apply the spiritual principles into their own life and take some actions themselves so that they can grow and heal emotionally and spiritually um, independent of the identified uh, patient. Is that great. clear? Yeah, that's great. So it's almost like you're saying that even for family members, that uh, they can also use those spiritual principles to, with support of a group like Al-Anon or for teens, Al-A-Teen, to apply those spiritual principles in a real direct way uh, around the the issue of the loved one's uh, disease of addiction. And uh, by applying those spiritual principles, that can make a real difference in the family member's life, no matter what uh, happens with with the, the spouse. Yes, absolutely. It's the same spiritual principles. It's the same 12-step program. And the the result is the same. It's it's, it's freedom, and it's a, it's, a, it's a joyous, it's a serene way of life um, for the person participating in the recovery. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, that's great. Uh, a great sharing there because it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's almost like re- addiction gives you no choices. It sends you down this negative road, but the recovery process as a spiritual process reverses all that. It, it, it shifts you up into a whole different way of living. It shifts you into a, a positive trajectory up into to well-being and all those great things that you named at the first of our conversation here today and to the love and serenity and all of that stuff. That's a great way to describe it, Anna. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's true for the family members as, as well as the folk, 
the folks with the with the substance part of this addiction. So it's coming up to break time again. So thank you uh, very much to our emailer. Thanks for emailing in that question. It's a really important question and one that is certainly on the hearts and minds of all family members and friends of folks with um, with the disease of addiction. So thanks for uh, emailing us in about that. And Chad, thank you. You're giving us great ideas, and um, we really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing with us so honestly. And um, we're grateful for all of you that are out there listening. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to keep talking about spiritual principles in action with my guest, Chad W. And also, you can um, call us in with more comments or questions. So we'll be right back. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Anytime a situation seems confusing or hopeless, most likely I am viewing it from a perspective of human limitation. Instead, I have the innate power to see any circumstance from a spiritual perspective by turning to God in prayer. If I am seeing only problems and not solutions, illness and not wholeness, lack and not abundance, I sit quietly in the silence and reestablish my oneness with God, affirming wisdom, wholeness, and abundance. I begin to see things differently, at one with infinite possibility. I scale the heights of human awareness and view the world as from above. Expressing oneness with God in all that I think, say, and do, I allow my spirit to soar. This inspirational message is brought to you by Daily Word. Daily Word, inspiration, and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. Give Daily Word to yourself or friend and give the gift of hope, joy, peace, and encouragement. Order your subscriptions today online at dailyword.com. I'm loving my life. You better believe it. There's good all around, and I receive it. There's a lot of uncertainty and fear out there about the economy. It seems that the news gets scarier every day. That's why there just couldn't be a better time to launch a new program called The Prosperous Life, hosted by Chris Michaels and Stephanie Pfeiffer-Stone. This program takes the spiritual approach to creating and maintaining your faith in a life filled with abundance. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. Central Time to connect with Chris and Stephanie, hosts of The Prosperous Life, right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. You've been listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're really glad you're listening today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Spiritual Principles in Action, and my guest is Chad W. Chad is a professional addictions counselor who works um, in both primary residential treatment and residential aftercare for folks that are entering uh, recovery. And he also is a person who is in long-term recovery himself, so he knows what it takes and he tells it like it is, and he's been sharing lots of good stuff with us. This is a great time right now to call us or email us with a question or comment for Chad. The number is 888-55-UNITY, and the email is spiritofrecovery at unity.fm, and we will get that um, email if you email us, so we'll get it right here during the program. So we'd love to hear from you, and thanks uh, for our emailer that emailed in earlier. So, Chad, 
you mentioned before that you had had an accident that left you with some physical challenges, and that happened before you got into recovery uh, from the disease of addiction. So how did all that work together? You told us a little bit about that story, but uh, when you got into recovery from addiction, that also really changed um, some things about your physical health in a positive direction. What can you tell us about that and how your spirituality played a part in that? Okay, um, well, um, yeah, a little bit of background information, I guess. I was uh, I was involved in a motor vehicle accident. It was a drunk driving accident where I was thrown from the car, and my back was broken and my spinal cord was severed, which left me paralyzed from the stomach down. And, uh, you know, it's an unfortunate truth that if we're truly chemically dependent, uh, consequences will not get or keep us sober. I've experienced several accidents in my life, this last one being the most severe, and not even that one led me into recovery from addiction. In fact, because my selfish and self-centered behavior is at the root of this disease, it gave me the opportunity to feel sorry for myself and live in self-pity, which only exacerbated my use. Um, I believe that my higher power has always been working in my life, though, I think that that's evidenced by the simple fact that I'm alive and with you here today. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I believe today that God has a plan for me and everything that I have experienced has been a part of that plan in positioning me to be uh, of service to him and to my fellows. Um, As far as um, how the physical and spiritual recovery are joined together, I guess I would say that, uh, well, um, so I had gone from being an able-bodied, strong young man to being completely paralyzed below the waist. Then I began to be able to learn how to walk again. Uh, I had some motor function return, and I was able to walk with a walker and sometimes with a cane before my addiction took over and reached its peak and halted my progress. I began to have to go back to my wheelchair or crawl across the floor on my hands and knees to get from room to room. Physically, the, the drug use was restricting not only the muscle movement in my legs, but also the communication from my brain through the central nervous system to all other parts of my body. And you would think that as I was beginning to lose my newly recovered ability to stand and walk, that I would stop using drugs, but I couldn't. And I soon lost other bodily functions beyond my ability to walk. Um, But man of the body, as you know, is a miraculous thing. And soon after I entered treatment, my body began to respond. Um, I was no longer putting chemicals in my body, And now I was also beginning to nourish my body for the first time in several years. I started eating fruit again for the first time in decades on top of three meals a day. So even though I was having to use a wheelchair while I was in treatment, almost immediately on discharge I was able to walk with only a cane. And as the days went on and my emotional and spiritual recovery strengthened, my emotional stress reduced and my muscles began to relax. As my muscles relaxed, my legs became stronger, and my walking became more fluid. And now sometimes the cynical will question whether or not I really need to use a cane or if I'm only doing it to try and get attention. (laughs) (laughs) As my body got stronger, I became more confident in my ability to recover. And as I became more confident in my ability to recover, I became more willing to continue doing what is required. I truly believe that we're all connected through mind, body, and spirit, and a holistic approach to recovery plays a vital role in regaining personal balance. That's fabulous. That's incredible that you, you've directly experienced that mind-body connection and, and seen profound results from it because you practice the spiritual principles. Yeah, God's grace is definitely working in my life today, Anna. It sure is. And I know uh, one thing, too, that 
you've said that your spirituality and your spiritual growth and recovery have really positioned you and given you an opportunity uh, to be in a place where you're able to be of service in lots of areas. You're Certainly, you're in service in the recovery community and as a treatment professional. And also, there's some things opening up for you in the larger community. Would you tell us about that? It's kind of a funny story. Um, so I got into early recovery, and my counselor encouraged me to find balance, and he wanted me to incorporate recreation, and I used to love to ski and snowboard. And so as a person with a physical limitation, I learned how to alpine ski or downhill ski in an adaptive mono ski. So I now ride in a seated position in this adaptive mono ski that has a little shock and suspension system in it, and that's become my, my season passion. Well, this year, I've uh, started to do it a little bit more often, and I've uh, joined a couple of different racing leagues. And so I was out last week, Wednesday, uh, just doing some practice runs with my friend Tim. And Tim was helping me dial in the suspension setup and the shock preload on this, on this monoski. And we were kind of in this little room area at the base of the chalet, not really with permission. Um, so when this woman came in with a pretty fast pace asking who was in the monoski, I wasn't sure if I was going to get scolded for being in this room or, or what, but I acknowledged that it was me. And she introduced herself as a um, founder of this um, organization that is it um, gathers services together. It coordinates services for family members of children with disabilities, with developmental disabilities, with cognitive disabilities, and with physical disabilities. And she went on to explain to me how she's been trying to pioneer a new adaptive ski program at the local area ski hill where I had been skiing. And when she saw me, she got really excited and wanted to know if I would be interested in participating with her in helping to instruct disabled people on how to ski in a bi-ski or in a mono-ski or do do what it was that I was doing. Now, my story gets um, interesting for me when my my first reaction was, no, I can't. Um, I'm already skiing in three different leagues. I'm skiing three nights a week. I'm exhausted. On my day's off, I want to be home and rest where it's warm. And that's where my selfishness and my self-centeredness go right away. But then I realized in that instance that I have been praying for God's will in my life. I have been asking for God to guide me and lead me in his direction. And it's not for me to decide what that looks like. And instantly I saw this as an example of God answering my prayers. Here he has put a woman in my path who is giving me an opportunity to be of service to a different population. And immediately I almost started to tear up and I said, yes, absolutely, I'd love, I'd love to be involved. Um, how thrilling it is to be able to be of service and volunteer my time and be able to teach other disabled people the way somebody once taught me and do it in a, in a recreation that I love to do. Um, so... I am now starting to get involved with this local organization in uh, in an effort to try and help teach other disabled young men and women uh, how to get out and incorporate some recreation in their life. That's powerful. You you are a wonderful demonstration of how living this spirituality and you're open, you're asking for avenues of service because you're staying in recovery, because you're staying healthy, you're keeping in balance. All of a sudden, this new new path opens up for you. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because I thought when I pray for God's will for me and when I ask him to use me in his service uh, and thy will not mine be done, in the back of my mind, I always thought that that would be in the field of addiction treatment. Uh, whether it's through sponsorship at a voca- at an avocational level or whether it's through my counseling as a vocation. And um, it never dawned on me that I could be used in his service uh, to help others while doing a pastime that I'm passionate about. I really, truly feel blessed. 
Yeah, that's that's great. I love it. And and it's all because because you're willing and it's all because you're doing what it takes, you know, that you that you put you put the principles into action on a daily basis. If you have one one last sort of word of wisdom to share with people about living the spiritual life, Chad, what would it be? What would you tell us? Mm, I would say that although it's not always easy this is a simple program, and by incorporating the spiritual principles of the 12-step recovery program into our lives, we are able to be free from active addiction, free from selfishness, free from fear, chaos, anger, discontent, insanity, false pride, frustration, negative thinking, and most of all, free from hopelessness. So if you or if someone you love is struggling with addiction, I would invite you to please join us. I don't think there's any better advice than that. Chad, this has been wonderful. Thank you, really. Thank you from the heart. Uh, Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for what you have shared with us today. Uh, You've touched my heart, and I know that you've blessed people that are listening today. Thanks so much, and it'll be a joy to hear uh, what happens with the skiing. I know you're going to Uh, touch a lot of lives with that and thanks for what you're doing in the addiction field and thank you Anna it's truly been enjoyable for me to be here with you today great you're welcome all right and uh, thanks to everybody who's listening today and thanks for our emailer we're grateful for you listening and telling all of your friends about us you can check us out on Facebook. You can uh, find us there at our Spirit of Recovery page on Facebook. You can post on the wall um, or just let us know how you're liking what's happening here at Spirit of Recovery. Be sure to join us next Tuesday when our topic is going to be Being the Person I Meant to Be. And my guest is Gracie Vandiver. Gracie is a songwriter, a singer, and the founder of sunlightofthespiritmusic.com, which features music from artists in recovery. And so we'll be hearing all about Gracie's creative life and how that works in recovery. So thanks again uh, to you, Chad, and thanks for our listeners, and thanks to everybody for being part of the Spirit of Recovery. Remember that you're a blessing, that you're in my prayers, and let your heart sing with joy this week. God bless. Tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Music speaks louder than words. Music speaks louder than words is an inspiring, informative, and fun hour of uplifting, heartfelt music and commentary that delivers a powerful message of love, joy, and oneness. It will keep you smiling and singing along. Your host, Dale Worley, is alive with the Spirit of God each Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern with Music Speaks Louder Than Words. Music, it's the only thing that the whole world listens to.
Inspiration only takes a moment. Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard shares this from his book, Good Questions. We are here to learn, grow, experience, savor, exalt, cherish, create, and to use our connection with that mind to make safe decisions. We are here to share, to be fruitful, and to multiply the good over and over again. Centering on the divine within, we become still and realize that whatever happens, we are still one with God. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify. Spotify. 